2 Corinthians 6, verses 11, verse 11 through chapter 7, verse 1. I've titled this message, How to Keep Your Heart Open to Christ. How to Keep Your Heart Open to Christ. A fundamental reason why Orwell Bible Church was started uh, 20 years ago was because the few area churches that were around, um, they either didn't believe the gospel or they were not careful in who they partnered with um, or a number of other biblical, unbiblical issues. This doctrine that we're going to look at today, the Bible doctrine of separation, it is often misunderstood and ignored and put down. It is also uh, practiced wrong on both sides of the issue there. My association with the American Council of Christian Churches began in 2010. I was 40, a young fella. And I began associating with them because of this very doctrine. To learn more, to be encouraged uh, by like-minded brothers in the Lord, uh, to help the cause of Christ, and that necessarily involves uh, this truth. What are the Bible reasons for separation? Let me give you a three before we look at one from 2 Corinthians 11, 6 verse 11 here. One reason is 2 John verses 7 through 11, and that is to protect biblical truth, our testimony, to protect biblical truth. A second reason, two passages, 1 Corinthians 5 and Romans 16, 17. A second reason is to protect Christ's church. To protect Christ's church. There in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you allow a little sin, if you allow sin, a known sin, to continue, to continue as if it's okay, that will infect the entire church. A third reason is 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 16. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. A third reason is to project God's holiness. And I use the word project in the sense of a projector, to show. There, Peter says, just as he who called you is holy, so also you be holy in all your behavior. Today's passage, scripture passage, uh, is one of, if not one of the very first passages one will go to for this Bible doctrine and practice of of separation. Um, Most immediately go to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. But what's missed then is the context of verses 11 to 13. I think most of us have experienced when two parties once had a great affection for one another, and then they slowly drift apart. If you've lived any length of time, you've experienced that. You used to have a close relationship with someone. And then for whatever reason, you started to slowly drift apart. Maybe it was a dating relationship. Maybe a work relationship. Maybe it was siblings. That can happen with brothers and sisters. 
Maybe it's between parents and children. But over time, they're just not on the same page anymore. It can happen with a church and its members. When warm affections grow what? Cool. Instead of looking forward to getting together, can't wait to see that individual, you avoid them. Kind of stand away. Keep your distance there. You find excuses not to be with that person because I just don't want to be in their presence anymore. Once it was wide open, now it's really narrow, if open at all. One time you had great concern and care. Now it's little interest. I really don't want to know. The less I know, the better. One time you had uncontrolled affection. You wept with them. You rejoiced with them. Now you have no feelings. Your heart is hard. Their heart is hard, whatever the case might be. What caused that drifting to happen? What caused that drifting to happen? Problems. Unresolved problems cause that drifting to happen. What causes, this comes to the text here, what causes professing Christians to drift away from Christ? In a word, not just merely problems, but sin. Look with me at verses 11 to 13. Oh, Corinthians. This is the first time he calls him by this name. Like this. Oh, Corinthians. We have spoke openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. He's not Meaning there, you guys are, he's not speaking down to them. You guys are just kids. He's speaking to them as those that he won to the Lord. He's speaking to them as their spiritual father that he loves and cares and his heart's open to them. What causes Christians to drift from Christ? Number one, we see here in verses 11 to 13 that sin crowds out Christ. Sin crowds out Christ. Christ. What do people uh, tend to do when there's a, a problem in a relationship? Do they blame themselves? Or do they blame the other person? Usually they blame the other person, don't they? And Paul says in verse 12, you are not restricted by us. Don't blame someone else if your feelings are distant from them. Sin affects your affections, he says there in the rest of verse 12. You are restricted by your own affections. And this word here, affections, it's talking about the very inner parts of the individual, their kidneys, their heart, who they are, what they love. Sin causes spiritual heart problems. Sin squeezes, pushes Christ out causes your heart to grow cold to the Lord. It closes your heart to him. You no longer have that trust in him 
You're relying on yourself more or something else. Instead of that trust, there's doubt. Instead of love, suspicion. Instead of endearment, there's hostility. The Corinthians' affections were growing increasingly cold toward Paul. And if they're growing cold toward Paul, they were growing cold toward Christ because Paul was Christ's apostle, Christ's chosen representative to bring the gospel to them. For them to turn away from Paul was to turn away from Christ. How did that happen? You have to read the rest of 2 Corinthians to find out, but it's especially in chapter 11. And there in chapter 11, we read about how the Corinthians were listening more and more to teachers who were saying they were better speakers than Paul, and they were. And they were better looking than Paul, and they were. And they were more right than Paul, and they weren't. They were angels. They were they were uh, angels of ministers of Satan set to deceive. They looked, they sounded better than Paul. And as a result, because their affections are being taken away towards these guys, what'd that do to their affections toward Paul? They're growing distant, colder, farther away from Paul. Their love wasn't full throttle anymore. How often do you put your motorcycle or your automobile at full throttle? Probably not very often. What about your lawnmower? Well, sure, that's a little better. You know what I mean by full throttle? No holds barred, everything for the Lord. The Corinthians were coming way back on the accelerator. They were starting to turn the channel away from Paul to someone else. They weren't listening like they used to. Sin crowds out Christ. Why does sin do that? Why does sin push Jesus and his messengers out and his truth? Why does sin tone it down? Why does sin throttle back that love for Christ? That's number two. Because sin is contrary to Christ. Let's look together, verses 14 to 16. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with the idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Sin is contrary to Christ. And we have here five uh, ways in which it's contrary to Christ. The first way is that sin is contrary to Christ's righteousness. Second part of verse 14. What fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? Sin is lawlessness. Jesus is righteous. He is God. 
He is completely righteous and he loves righteousness, but sin is the exact opposite of it. Doesn't want anything to do with it. The word here is it does have it has no fellowship. And the idea of that is companionship. Doesn't like to keep company. There's no partnership. There's no friendliness between righteousness and lawlessness. The second is in the last part of verse 14. What communion has light with darkness? Sin is contrary to Christ's domain. Christ's domain. He is light and he is in light. He is completely holy, where sin is darkness. What communion, it asks, what communion do they have together? There is none. If they don't have communion, what are they? They're alienated. They're enemies. They keep their distance. There's hostility and spite between the two. The third area is in the beginning of verse 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? Sin is contrary, number three, to Christ himself. It is contrary to Christ himself. Jesus is God incarnate. Belial is another name for Satan. And those are great enemies, aren't they? What accord does Christ have with Belial? Do they have anything in common? No, they have no accord. They're completely different. They disagree. There's conflict. They oppose each other. They resist each other. And I might also say, just as a rabbit trail, they are not equals resisting each other, are they? God is in heaven. Christ is in heaven. And Satan is a created being. And when Jesus says enough's enough, Revelation 20, he'll cast Satan into a, a bottomless pit and then after that time, cast him straight into the lake of fire to be punished forever. A fourth way that Christ is, or sin is contrary to Christ, the middle of, of the second part of verse 15, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Sin is contrary to Christ's people. Sin is contrary to Christ's righteousness, Christ's domain, Christ himself, here, Christ's people. Jesus died for his people. He died for his church. He indwells. Remember Jesus' promise where two or three are gathered together? What's the promise? I'm there in their midst. Think of this. Think of this. Jesus is present with us right now. But sin has no part. Sin has no part. It is an opponent. It is an enemy. It is 100% opposed in feeling and action. And then verse 16, the fifth way that sin is opposed to Christ, it is opposed to Christ's worship. It is opposed to the worship of Christ. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, be their God, and they shall be my people. There is no agreement whatsoever. There's conflict, there's disagreement, whereas Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, all who worship me must worship in spirit and truth. And remember, that truth is what he says, and that spirit 
is not talking about put some spirit into it. That spirit is the, the, the heart, the soul in line with God's truth correctly responds to God's truth in God's ways. Since sin is contrary to Christ and sin closes your heart, how can you keep your heart open to Christ? Because we live in a sin-cursed world, don't we? We live in a world that Satan prowls about. We live amongst unbelievers. Paul is not saying here, you need to leave this world. He says that in 1 Corinthians 5. You can't leave this world. It's impossible. What must you do? Number three, you must have nothing to do with sin. The beginning of verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. With each of these, I'll put it in my own way, so hopefully you can understand what he's saying here by do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Number one, stop joyfully walking hand in hand with sin. Stop joyfully walking hand in hand is your blank there. Stop joyfully walking hand in hand with sin. You get the picture here? I remember when my kids were little and we'd go somewhere and what would they grab for usually? Mom and dad's hands and we'd, we'd walk down that way. You know, my sons are here. If my sons were here, I think they're going to take my hand and we're going to kind of walk down the way together. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Not going to happen anymore. <laughs> it's a sad moment. My little boys are men now. They can defend themselves. My oldest son has two girls. I almost said three. Third's on the way. And he's scared about that. You can pray for him. Walking hand in hand, you're together. You love each other. And you need to stop doing that with sin. What were the Corinthians doing? Kind of walking hand in hand. Let me give you some examples from First and Second Corinthians in chapter in First Corinthians five five. They tolerated immorality in their church. They had immorality in their church, and they said, "Hey, isn't this great?" They were joyfully walking hand in hand with that. First Corinthians seven. They had marriage problems that Paul had to correct. Wrong response towards the God-ordained institution of marriage. A third was 1 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. They would willingly go into idol temples to have dinner. Some of them would get that food that was offered in the idol temples and they would buy it in the shops. Paul said, that's fine. You can do that. It's just food. But do not set foot in those idol temples. Well, we're not worshiping the idols. Paul said, what's going on there? What's going on there is the worship of idols. And we know idols are nothing. It's the demons behind them that's the problem. When you go there, you're participating in that demon worship. And you should have no part with that. And they were joyfully going hand in hand with that. 
1 Corinthians 15 is the fourth one. They had false teaching about Jesus' resurrection, about the resurrection. They had false teaching about the, the resurrection. They said that there's not going to be a, necessarily a resurrection. And Paul says, well, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus is still dead. And if Jesus is still dead, then we're without hope, aren't we? And then the fifth would be 2 Corinthians, especially chapter 11. They were following false teachers instead of Paul. What happens when you're walking hand in hand with sin like that? That crowds Christ out. There's no room for him. What fellowship can they have? What accord? What communion? What part? It throttles back your love. It pushes Jesus out. It turns the volume down, as it were, when you yoke up. And we don't plow with oxen, but we walk hand in hand, don't we? And that's the idea here. When you yoke up with sin, when you walk hand in hand with sin, that affects your affections. That turns your love for Jesus down. And so the answer to all this is stop joyfully walking hand in hand with those who hate Christ. You have nothing in common with them. They're going in a completely different direction. And remember, this doesn't mean you got to leave the world. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 10, then you need to go out of the world. So maybe Oral Bible Church should start a, a ministry to Mars. We're all going to colonize. No, Jesus wants us here. He wants us to win the lost to Christ and be witnesses and testimonies for him. And we do so obeying him, holy as he is holy, giving his message, not working together with those who deny the faith, not working together in spiritual effort with those who don't believe it. That's wrong. Imagine you're newlyweds. For some of us, this is a few years ago. For others of us, it's decades ago. It's been fun to see marriages, uh, weddings uh, in our church the last couple years. Some of them are on Instagram. Some of them are not. The ones who are Instagram, they post these googly-eyed newlywed pictures. and Oh, you know, this kind of thing. And you just kind of, yeah, okay, they're newlyweds. Imagine a newlywed couple, all that googly-eyedness. And then one of those newlyweds sees his new spouse walking hand in hand with someone else. What would that do to the relationship? What would that do to the heart? Christian, do you remember what Jesus' church is called? It's called his bride. We belong to him alone. We are not to be walking hand in hand with that which is not Christ. When you keep your heart totally Christ's, he fills your heart. 
He gives joy. He gives peace. He satisfies your soul. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. He's always faithful. How do you do this? First, stop walking hand in hand with sin. Second, verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Number two, break up with sin and be faithful to the Lord. Break up with sin and be faithful to the Lord. To be entirely the Lord's, you must break up, have nothing to do with it. That's the idea here when he says, come out and be separate. Break up with it. That's your responsibility. You have to do this to be separate and don't touch it, have nothing to do with it. Now, right away, and I've heard these over the years, um, don't say, now you're just going Amish on us. And I love that one because we live amongst the Amish here. And when people have said to me, now you're going Amish, and I say, oh, I definitely am not going Amish. (laughs) Trust me. Well, you're just pulling away. You're just being that weirdo. This leads to self-righteous pride. I mean, this kind of attitude and that kind of practice, that just leads to self-righteousness. You're focused on yourself and you're being like a Pharisee. That's another thing we're often said. Have Have those kinds of things happen without a doubt. And they're wrong and they're sinful. And listen, you should not participate with them. You should not go hand in hand with them because they are disobeying the Lord. They're in sin. It's pride. So back to the point. Is God comfortable hanging out with those who hate him? Does God call them his buddies? Pretend like there's nothing wrong? Does he join or link up with those who choose sin over his commands? doesn't does god enjoy an intimate relationship with smut with sin with impurity with filth and wickedness and what's perverse no you christian you're part of his church And he died for you, not so that you would walk around in a filthy garment, but that you would have a pure garment. You belong to him alone. Him alone. And so you have to separate, break up with anything and everything that is contrary to Christ. 110% faithful to the Lord. Another objection that people throw out about biblical separation is it's all negative. Well, that's not biblical separation then. It's not. It's not all, biblical separation is not just separating from something. That does lead to pride. You are not just separating from sin and the world and Satan. You are separating to someone. And who is that one that you're being wholly devoted to? your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where love and joy and peace and his presence and all those great things are. 
Chapter 7, verse 1 is the third action involved here. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Number three, you must completely purify yourself from sin. Completely purify yourself from sin. These promises, what's he referring to? He's referring to chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. These promises of what? I will receive you, end of verse 17. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters, my sons and daughters. You'll enjoy fellowship with him. That's what he's saying there. Having these promises of enjoying fellowship with him, you must, on that basis, purify yourself from everything that's sinful and wrong. And do I need to address the issue of Does this mean sinless perfection? No. It's not a one-time thing. Wouldn't wouldn't that be great? This isn't in my notes, but let's go down that rabbit trail. Wouldn't that be great? If you could just a one-time cleanse yourself from all sin and never have to sin anymore? Anybody want to sign up for that program? I'm there. But that's not going to happen, is it? We have a sin nature. And we must continually fight against it. Make no provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14, and so many other passages there. We must continually cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, the sin nature, the flesh and spirit. And then he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The fear of the Lord. Remember from Proverbs, that reverent faith in Jesus Christ. Remember this part, exclusively Loving, serving, and worshiping him alone? There are no other ones that you love. None other that you serve. None other that you worship. The fear of the Lord is exclusively loving, worshiping, and serving him because you're trusting in Christ alone. Paul's saying here to the Corinthians, God is saying to you and I, you need to give yourself a real Spiritual scrubbing from head to toe. A real spiritual scrubbing. Separation is often viewed as one of the last, a kind of a last resort option. No, it's essential to Christian life. Let me give you a couple passages here just to buttress and support this. We'll start in the Old Testament with Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Remember that? Blessed is the man who walks not. What's that an illustration of? You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't stand in the path of sinners. You don't sit in the seat of the scornful. I'm not going there. You are, what's the S word? Separating yourself. You're not going to touch it. You're not going there. Blessed. Blessed is the man who doesn't do that. Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And then similarly, Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. When I was just a little boy, 
mom told me that, and he, she named the individual, and I'm not going to name him. You need to just stay away from him. He gets into mischief, and he did. He always got in trouble. Why was mom worried about that? Did she think I'd really go along? Mom was worried. She knows the power of friendship. And once you start going along, it's hard to say, no, I'm not going to do that because you don't want to look bad. You don't want to be the, the, the fellow that causes problems. You don't want to be the weirdo. You want to go along with it. You want to look right and look cool. And that's what we're doing. And it's just easier just to stay away from it. Don't become friends with them. Those who are sinful, fools, characterized by anger. Matthew 6.24, a fourth passage. Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters. Why? You'll either hate the one and love the other, or love the one and despise the other. You can't serve two. If you think you can serve Jesus in sin, you're wrong. You can't. 1 Corinthians 15.33, just two more. 1 Corinthians 15.33, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Similar to what we saw in Psalms and Proverbs. And then last, 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, what? Abides forever. He who does the will of God abides forever. Don't love the things of sin in this world. How do you keep your heart open to Christ so that it's just his? This is not, there's a negative aspect to it, but why is the negative given? So that you have warm affections for the Lord Jesus. Is that a good thing? Do you want to love the Lord more? You can't love this world. You can't love what's wrong. You can't love sin. You can't love the things that everyone else wants to do. You can't partner with them in those spiritual endeavors. If, we had, if I had a married couple ask me for help, they had troubles in their relationship, um, first, I want to find out, do they know the Lord Jesus Christ? If they do, then we find out what are the sin issues? Because that's the cause of every problem, isn't it? What are the sin issues? We find out what the sin issues are. And there's always two individuals who have sin problems, aren't there? Always two. We identify those. You need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. And what if they said, no, I'm not going there. I think it's something else. That's not really the problem. In fact, there's nothing wrong with me. It's all that person's fault. I've heard that a time or two. Are we going to be surprised if their marriage crumbles? No, we won't. 
because they're not willing to deal with their sin issues. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord this morning? Is your heart wide open to him? Is it consistent with his character? Do you love his commands? Do you hate what he hates and love what he loves? Or because of what you've been partnering and communicating and associating and fellowshipping with, you've been pushing him out. You've been turning him down. Christian, remember the blessings. The blessings of fellowship with the Lord that we read there in 17 and 18. You'll be my children. I'll be with you. That fellowship that you'll enjoy. Paul is saying this at the bottom of your sheet. You must keep your heart closed to sin to keep it open to Christ. You must keep your heart closed to sin to keep it open to Christ.